turbulence. The economic statistics. The triple dip recession. Collapsing commodities. Monetary policy has to do the heavy lifting work. Money for nothing. Good morning. It's Friday, the 19th of December, and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Richard Harris. Putin sends to end fears about the ruble and the Russian economy. Global markets have a great day following the press conferences. And Chinese car companies get hit in Hong Kong as the ruble takes the gloss off exporters. Our guest list today, all three of them, go by the name of Michael, so please bear with me. We start with Michael Kurtz of Nomura and his outlook for 2015. We have our Russian economics correspondent, Michael Hansen Lawson of East Capital, joining us to shed light on that volatile corner of world markets. And we finish off with Michael Ormston of Regis to talk about flexible workspaces in Hong Kong. Now, our guest host today is not called Michael, but is indeed the aristocratic Dr. Enzio von Feil of Private Capital Limited. Good morning, Enzio. Good morning to you. How are you, Richard? I'm fine, and you're looking fine too. Do you have a Friday fact for us today, some number that's grabbed you in the week? Well, not a number, but a size of girth. Who invented Santa Claus? It's, of course, Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus. It was not one of those bad German exports. Oh, really? Well, it, so it's not bratwurst or anything that does it? No, no, no. Well, the bratwurst helps the girth, but not, the, not Coca-Cola sales. Splendid. Well, that sounds very seasonal anyway. Uh, President Putin of Russia gave his well-timed annual address to the nation last night. In a rambling three-hour speech, he promised much, but delivered little more to the markets than this. Foreign economic factors, of course, influence our situation, primarily the oil price and the gas price. And I think that the central bank and the government are taking adequate measures in the current situation. Yes, there are some questions to the government as to how timely their measures have been. Overall, they're quite adequate and they're moving in the right direction. He said recovery from the recession would take two years. But he preferred to go on the attack. We can be sure of one thing. We'll get through this. And from a difficult situation today, we'll emerge stronger. In the country, in the economy, and on the international stage. And just how is he going to save the battered ruble? Well, there was no detailed plan, but there was lots of anti-Western rhetoric. (laughs) After the Berlin Wall fell, didn't they tell us that NATO wouldn't enlarge to the east? But it did, straight away. There were two waves of expansion. What is that if not a new wall? He blamed the ruble's plunge on the fall on the oil price and what he called external factors, presumably referring to Western sanctions. The ruble itself had a day of relative stability and is currently at yesterday's level of 62 rubles to the dollar, worth just half its value before the crisis. The Brent's crude oil price remains stable overnight, but is currently down $1.9 at $59.27. Some observers think the price may have gone far enough in the short term and are looking ahead to a cut in production, at least by non-OPEC members. This is Amritsa Sen, who's chief oil market analyst of Energy Advisors London. I think even the oil majors have gone after very, very expensive projects, and you are just starting to see uh, cancellations, uh, capex being cut back, and you are going to see the aftermath of this kind of sharp drop in oil prices across the board, not just U.S. independence, but even in the oil major sector, you will see projects getting delayed or cancelled. Enzio, as um, a gentleman of a certain age like I am, uh, you spend your life being trained as a German economist. You must feel you're coming back home looking at the Russian economy. 
Well, not really, because, I mean, it was a little bit too close for comfort. I think that the... Um, he may, may he, maybe he took his cue off C.Y. Long blaming the West for all of the problems in the East. I think that's a little bit childish myself. But I think that we have a true Russian expert here, Michael Hansen Lawson, who can tell us everything that we never needed to know about the Russian economy. No, Michael? Well, Michael? <laughs> Well, I mean, you know what, Putin, Putin's uh, three-and-a-half-hour <clears throat> presentation plus Q&A um, was really there to soothe um, the, um, the populace. Um, the fact that there were some swipes that um, the West was ready for domestic consumption. But don't forget we've had a helter-skelter week in Russia. It started with the ruble um, falling by 10% on Monday. Um, and, of course, unfortunately, the central bank has been somewhat behind the curve. Um, but they have reacted, as Putin said. Both they and the Ministry of Finance have supported the ruble, um, have taken measures to support the financial system uh, and the, um, <clears throat> uh, to ensure that um, rubles will be re- repatriated by exporters. And these measures seem to have had a good effect. OK, um, well, we'll get back to uh, a little bit more on Russia later. Uh, but first, uh, a little bit about the press conferences. You remember the Fed had one on Wednesday night and Putin's bravado performance yesterday both reacted very positively. The S&P put on 2.4% to 2061, its biggest one-day rise in two years. And the long bond weakened with the 10-year yield rising to 2.21. U.S. jobless figures came out at 289,000, which was a little bit below expectations. But Chris Rupke, chief economist of Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi, takes the figures rather more positively. Jobless claims fell 6,000 to 289,000 in the December 13 week, showing current labor market conditions are tight as a drum. Make no mistake, this is a leading indicator of the labor market, the leading indicator. And the last time unemployment claims were at this good of a level was early 2006. In early 2006, Bernanke took over the Fed from Greenspan and at his first meeting raised rates 25 basis points to 4.75%. That is a measure of how good they thought things were with weekly jobless claims at this level. What is the Fed funds rate doing at zero? He doesn't like to sit on the fence, does he? Asian markets had a good run on the back of Yellen's comments, uh, rising over 1%, with Tokyo putting on 2.3% to 17,210. The one market that didn't do that was Shanghai, which had another custom weekday falling just a tick to 3,057. Hong Kong itself had a catch-up with the Hang Seng up uh, 1.1% to 22,832. Most European markets did well with the Euro stocks index of 50 European blue chips up 3.3%. And the currency markets have seen a bias to the US dollar with the euro at $1.23, the yen at 118.90 and the pound trading at 157 or 12.15 Hong Kong dollars to the pound. Gold is pretty well unchanged at just under $1,200 an ounce. Now, let's introduce Michael Kurtz, our first Michael of the day, who's global equity strategist of Nomura, who is on the line. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Now, we've seen the two big press conferences of the last uh, two days. Do you think they've both gone far enough to placate the markets over more than one day? Oh, I think they have. And in fact, I'm I'm actually more uh, concerned that the Fed might... uh, be too inclined to placate markets. In other words, that, um, you know, I agree with some of your previous 
uh, commentators who believe that the labor market is actually getting rather tight in the U.S. And the last thing that the Fed would want to do here is to leave the uh, impression in the market that it's uh, ignoring uh, the, the increasing uh, absorption of surplus capacity in the U.S. economy. I think that uh, inflation is coming back sooner than most investors expect, notwithstanding the decline in oil prices. And Zia, do you have a comment? Well, just a question, Michael. I've been following you for years, actually, and I'm just wondering for the for our listeners, where should one put one's money in this coming year based on your forecasts of higher inflation? Yeah, thanks. I mean, it's a great question. We, we do think that 2015 is going to be a year in which there's considerably greater differentiation between markets than we've seen in these more liquidity-supported asset markets of the past few years. More inflation does mean that the Fed, we think, is very much on track for tightening uh, around the third quarter of 2015, and that's going to create both uh, an improvement in opportunity and a pickup in in risks. The risks come uh, because of the rising, or we presume, what will be a rising cost of U.S. dollar funding cross-border, and that's going to put pressure on the current account deficit markets and economies of the world. Certainly here in Asia, there are several of those, such as Indonesia, um, Australia. But it also means, of course, particularly if we're talking about wage inflation in particular, that household incomes will be rising. In other words, you know, for companies, this may come in the form of higher labor costs, but for households, this comes in the form of of greater take-home pay. But Michael, isn't one of the problems that we haven't seen wage inflation? Well, um, if we look at the third quarter employment cost index in the U.S., that surprised on the upside at 0.7% Q over Q, which means we're now annualizing to very nearly 3% nominal wage and salary growth in the U.S., and that is, of course, considerably above the run rate of CPI inflation. So we're arguably crossing into uh, the uh, zone now where U.S. wage and salary gains will be, in fact, overtaking the, the rise in, in nominal prices, and therefore we are starting to see uh, finally the, that sort of increase in bargaining power for labor that will give them the chance to begin uh, earning more than, than, the, than the rise in their cost of living. Michael, just on that, I'm intrigued by your comments about wage inflation because I would have thought that the Americans can just import more goods from abroad if if things get a bit too tight. In other words, if there's too much money chasing too few goods, besides which they can always increase the productivity, and that would, of course, then reduce the unit labor costs. So I just wonder whether in light of those two observations, you'd still think that inflation will come through and why? Well, um, you know, in terms of inflation, in this particular case, what we're really talking about is simply the absorption of the available labor capacity in the U.S. Some of what is produced in the U.S. could be outsourced to the rest of the world. But, of course, uh, a very large part of the U.S. economy and a very large part of the U.S. consumption basket are services, which are not, in many cases, um, you know, exportable. You you have to deliver them locally. And because of the fact that so much of the U.S. economy is now service-based, there's a limit to how much of that can be offshored. Michael, let's get a little bit closer home to China. We've seen the government uh, drift down their GDP figure from 7.5% to 7%. I see you've got a forecast for 6.8% next year and falling the year after. Now, it strikes me looking at some of the Fed minutes where they're looking at growth in the U.S. of 3%, that the difference between China's growth and the U.S. growth seems to be narrowing. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, you know, China's growth at this point is is severely constrained by its own demographic decline. The uh, decline in the working age population is now a significant headwind, and, and of course, China can offset that by uh, bringing up the productivity of its labor. But that isn't something that's necessarily going to be done uh, in a very large stepwise fashion. It requires a longer-term improvement in uh, you know worker skills. It requires investment in education and so on. Um, and 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 the the thing that we need to keep in mind, I think, first of all, is that China slowing down is probably a good thing, even for China. Um, although you know we have gotten accustomed over the past decade to thinking that China is the driver of all opportunity and growth in the world, the fact is, if China is growing too quickly, it leads to you know substantial distortions. It has raised the cost of commodities and, and energy for the rest of the world uh, because China has been basically hogging up a lot of those resources until recently. And of course, if China's slowing down means an economy that is more stable, um, is less given to boom-bust cycles, and particularly if the Chinese leadership doesn't feel obligated to engage in sort of uh, excess amounts of stimulus simply to meet politically-driven headline GDP growth targets, then ultimately this could be a much more rational and, and much more sustainable pattern of Chinese growth rather than the sort of go-go growth but at uh, substantial costs in terms of efficiency and, and, and uh, stability that we've seen in the past. So China's going up. Well, thank you very much, uh, Michael. I much appreciate that. That uh, Michael Kurtz, who's Global Equity Strategist for Nomura, and uh, enjoy your holiday. Cheers. The Ebola virus spreads through direct contact with the blood or bodily fluids of infected persons via broken skin or mucous membranes. It is not spread through the air or by food or water. To prevent infection, good hand hygiene is essential. Wash your hands frequently with soap and water, especially before touching your eyes, nose and mouth. Wounds should be disinfected and covered properly. For details, visit www.chp.gov.hk. Well, we never thought it at the beginning of the year, but the 46% fall in the oil price this year has shown just who's relied on the black gold to pay all their bills. President Putin last night admitted the country had not diversified enough. Uh, so what do we have? We have Russia's currency worth less than half it was a year ago. The stock market's down 53%, inflation at 9%, interest rates at 17%, and the economy shrinking by 4.5% in 2015. So the ramifications for the world economy are quite large, and we heard a little bit from Michael Hansen Lawson, who's Chief Executive Officer of East Capital Asia and long-time Russian specialist. He's with us this morning. Uh, hello again, Michael. Morning, Richard. So it generally seems that Putin's speech was more for domestic content. He didn't really seem to say anything definite. Did you have any other thoughts following the talk? His, um, they <clears throat> in the press conference they let in a um, a real uh, Ukrainian uh, journalist who asked some quite tough questions. Uh, didn't have to let him in, and um, Putin's reaction was really quite a soft line. Uh, he alluded to the um, uh, Minsk uh, September three agreement. Incidentally, there have been no shelling. There's been no shelling from the rebel Russian backside since the beginning of this week. Uh, on the government forces. Um, so maybe the line is softening there. 
Uh, and that would be very important because if the Ukrainian situation can be solved along the lines of the ceasefire holding, along the lines of the breakaway provinces, achieving some sort of autonomy within a federal Ukraine, and for the Russians, uh, no NATO, mem NATO membership of um, uh, by Ukraine, we could have an agreement, and that would obviously have a major geopolitical effect. So that was one um, uh, one thing I saw, we saw. Um, the other basically um, saying that, you know, that his officials are doing well, which we think as well, and the important point about the measures that have been imposed is the fact that no, there will be no capital controls, and that's what spooked the market at the beginning of the week. And Zed? Michael, give us a sense of the mood in Moscow. What do, from your people who are on the ground there, are they buying what Putin is saying or are they pretty despondent about things or is this even affecting them, this ruble tumble? Um, of course, this affects everybody. And uh, the ruble tumble on Monday, of course, uh, was a result of a lot of Russians um, selling rubles and buying dollars because they didn't know where the ruble was going. And as I said before, um, the central bank was a little bit behind the curve. But in, in general, the officials who run the central bank, who are in the Ministry of Finance, we think are pretty competent. And they've come out with a, a solid package. Um, the ruble, since the package was declared, is up 22%. The market was up 14%. Uh, on Wednesday and 7% yesterday. So uh, the situation seems to be stabilizing somewhat, although, of course, we've had quite a volatile week. It's interesting, Michael, because there was some comment, certainly from within Russia, of criticism from the central bank. But Putin came out yesterday firmly in support of them. Yeah, he, he has. I mean, obviously, the, the, um, the lady who runs the central bank was previously um, economic advisor to Putin. Um, and she's had a very, very difficult job indeed, um, but um, seems to have made the right moves, albeit um, a little bit late. You guys um, invest quite a lot in Eastern Europe uh, and also in China. The big questions for us, however, outside are how much is all of this likely to lead to some form of contagion elsewhere? I think the early form in the week seemed to really come as a result of people feeling, oh, no, Russia's doing very badly, therefore we're going to get spill-on effects, maybe European banks in trouble, maybe some of the debt uh, issues in trouble, that sort of thing. How much do you think it's going to spread? I don't think much, Richard. First of all, in terms of other emerging markets, no, not one central bank has raised its rates um, as a result. Um, that's number one. Number two, a lot of people are getting exercised by the fact that the um, Russian corporates owe $135 billion to repay next year. The point is that actually $90 billion is owed either by Gazprom or Rosneft. They are major oil exporters with dollar earnings. They have enough money to service that debt. Um, so, and also, in, if you look back at the Asian crisis, the problem there was the fear of contagion because of pegged currencies to a strong dollar. Um, the ruble is no longer pegged. Um, and so I think the, the fear of contagion is, is way overdone. Also, there's really absolutely no fear of a, uh, a Russian default because debt GDP is now very low at well, 10%. At least that uh, helps us going to Christmas feeling slightly better. Thank you very much, Michael, for coming in. Uh, we do appreciate it. That's um, Michael Hansen Lawson, our Queensway studio. He's CEO of East Capital <laughs> Asia. Spasibo and have a very good Christmas. Don't get 
Well, next we have Michael Ormiston, who's Hong Kong Country Manager of Regis, to talk about flexible workspaces. But first, Michael, I understand that you've just brought out uh, a press release or report saying that Hong Kong people are impossible workaholics. <laughs> yeah, that's a study that we've recently did, and with Christmas coming up, um, what, what we're trying to encourage people to do is take some, some time out, turn off their, their Blackberries and mobile iPhones these days and uh, take some time out because, uh, yeah, there's the studies show that people are connecting one or two hours a day, even on their days off. Isn't that a good thing for us all to be working hard? Uh, well, we just had a Maasai warrior dance in one of the Hong Kong club's rooms for us, and he was saying that the Hong Kong people do, in fact, work too hard, that there's too little time. But I was wondering whether you're also, with the workaholics, not finding too many what I call duty-free directors coming in. In other words, people who've been shed, who've been fired from their jobs, they have no more duties, and now they have to restart lives at Regis. Right, well... We don't know why people are um, starting up their own businesses. We don't ask those questions. But certainly what we do see is a trend of more and more people coming in, starting up companies. And that's anything from tax consulting, export. Um, I've recently had uh, – we had recently had Christmas parties and talking to our customers. There's so many who are starting up their own business and using us as a footprint um, to be able to work in a professional environment and also have the flexibility that we offer. Michael, just to give the listeners a little bit of uh, background, your traditional business has been really renting small offices mm. uh, at, at relatively short periods of time to people. Is that your business model going forward as well? No, our business model really is about supporting the mobile workforce. And <clears throat> studies show that in 2015 there's going to be around 1.3 billion mobile workers. Um, so our products are changing to be able to cater for that, uh, f that, that workforce. And it's not just the startup businesses, it's also the multinationals. If you think why companies are using flexible workspace, first and foremost, there's, there's cost savings. Um, companies are wanting to hold on to their cash. Um, so with Regis uh, and with serviced office space, um, companies don't need to be uh, signing long leases. Um, they can have flexible leases and also they can grow and shrink as the business moves around. And who are you seeing picking up uh, the kind of offices? You're talking about it's not only the, the people looking to start two or three person businesses, but also large businesses with 30 or 40 people. Uh, which area of the market do you think is expanding most? Well, we don't have a typical customer. Um, the customers we have are from Fortune 500, as I said, down to, to startups. And the reason why people are using us is for that flexibility and mobility. So the reasons for using us is the same, but the we don't have a typical type of customer. Enzio, you had a question? Being particularly thick, you say that they want flexibility, mm. yet they're renting office space. I don't know quite how that you, – you're talking about a mobile workforce yeah. of duty-free directors, but then you're talking about um, people renting office space. But if you're renting office space, you're not flexible. You're, you're stuck into something. So how does that work? Okay, so with, with, our, with Regis, um, you, we don't just offer, offer space. We have a number of different products to cater for the mobile workforce. So that might go from a lounge card to, to visit our lounges to flexible day usage that you can use in any location, um, whether it be 5, 10 or unlimited moving around. So it's not just fixed office space. At the same time, what we do offer, you can rent an office with us for an hour, for a day, for a year, for two years. So you're looking really at building as, as much flexibility as possible for people who are looking at starting new businesses. Exactly. And do you think that the 
fact that there, dare I say it, so many mid-career people now without a traditional role, is that helping your business at all or do they find other areas to to uh, work in? No, uh, with, with our business, so what we've found recently is, I mean, we have been growing. Um, Hong Kong today has 18, well, soon we'll have 20 locations and those locations typically have been within the central uh, central of Hong Kong, but that's expanding out as well. So People who are <coughs> within Hong Kong are actually moving between those locations as well. Um, and at the same time, a lot of uh, business professionals today are not spending their time in the office. They're spending time out with their customers. And that means not just Hong Kong, but also in, in other countries as well. So, Michael, what's the strongest area of growth? You, you mentioned various products before that you had. What's the strongest growth segment? Yeah. <coughs> the office product continues to grow. Um, we have a product called Business World, and that Business World is uh, what we it's, it's a card product. It's like a member card where customers can use us more flexibly, and that is growing, and that I think supports the uh, the, the statistics of the 1.3 billion mobile workers um, that we're going to be seeing coming into next year. Thank you, Michael. That's Michael Ormston, who's Hong Kong Country Manager of Regis, talking about flexible workspaces. Now, just before we go, Enzia, I think you're just off on holiday. What kind of world do you expect? on your way back, on, when you come back? Oh, well, my real forecast is that we will all have holidays, we will all have birthdays, and the world will remain round. But I also... As I'm talking about the markets. Oh, about the markets. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, you I, really are job holders. <laughs> yes, I'm duty-free these days. Um, no, I think that the crisis is already upon us. I think that the third world is going to show us a lot of problems because of currency mismatching which goes to say that they have incurred lots of dollar debts, but they're trying to service it out of soft currencies. I think that the oil price is going to continue down. So I'm very much for buying safe haven assets. Is, fear is greater than greed, which goes to say that one wants to be in gold and in U.S. treasuries, especially the 10s and the 30s. Good. Well, thank you very much, Enzio. And uh, I wish you all a, a very good holiday as you, you go off. That's Enzio Von File of Private Capital. Just uh, quickly, at the markets of the opening, Australia is up uh, 1.2% at 5,250. The Nikkei is up 1.8% at 17,527. And Seoul is uh, at last starting to move up 1.1% at 1,919. So the market's looking good today. Well, I wish you all a very, very good weekend. And um, that's uh, it from us from Money for Nothing. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, now the weather. The weather forecast today is cloudy with a few rain patches and it will be cold. Temperatures will linger between 12 and 14 degrees during the day in the urban areas and a couple of degrees lower in the new territories. Moderate to fresh north to northeasterly winds. At the Hong Kong Observatory, currently it's 12 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 92%. And now the news read by Todd Harding. The White House has said the cyber attack on Sony Pictures is a serious national security matter. It said evidence showed the hack was carried out with malicious intent by what it called a sophisticated actor. Earlier, Sony announced that a comedy film called The Interview about a plot to kill the North Korean leader wouldn't be released. Hackers had threatened violence if the movie was shown. The BBC's Alistair Leithhead reports from Los Angeles. There have been reports the FBI has traced the hack to Pyongyang, but any acknowledgement by the US government of the involvement of a nation-state would require a response. 
There's been a strong reaction in Hollywood against Sony's decision to pull the interview before its release and doing exactly what the hackers demanded. Internet security specialists say it's a wake-up call for big companies to prepare for cyber warfare by improving their data protection. The UN General Assembly has voted in favour of referring North Korea to the International Criminal Court to face charges of crimes against humanity. A UN report released in February said ordinary North Koreans face what it called unspeakable atrocities. The Security Council is expected to discuss a draft resolution on Monday, but it is likely to face stiff opposition from China and Russia. The North Korean delegate, An Myung-hun, rejected the resolution. The resolution has nothing to do with promotion and protection of human rights, and it is a product of a political plot and confrontation against the DPRK. An investigation by the BBC has found poor working conditions at an Apple production factory on the mainland in breach of the tech company's promises to protect workers. Apple say they will investigate any concerns brought to them. The BBC's Richard Bilton reports.